Well, good morning. Welcome to Asante Church. My name is Jacob Stevenson. <laughs> I have way less hair, way less swagger. You, you got to put up with me today. My name is Alex Dennis, and I get to be one of the pastors here at Asante Church. And uh, seeing some new faces again this morning, super excited to see you guys. Thank you for joining us for worship this morning. We are in our third, maybe fourth week, it's already starting to blend together, of uh, our series in the Gospel of Mark. And this morning, we kind of pick up at a place where Jesus has been baptized, and Peter has left so many of the details out. There's been no genealogy. There's been no birth narrative. He went straight to the baptism of Jesus, and then the Holy Spirit indwells Jesus, and then he is called out into the wilderness where he fasts for 40 days, and he is tempted by the enemy. We saw last week that Jesus kicked the devil's butt, and so this morning we show up and we celebrate that further in the preaching ministry of Jesus. But before we do that, we were receiving an invitation today, and this is the greatest invitation that we could ever get, and that is into a story that is much bigger than our own. Now, every good story does a few things really well. It introduced the protagonist. There's usually some kind of crazy origin story. Uh, for these today, we have Luke Skywalker, um, original space cowboy in the space western known as Star Wars. We have Frodo in the ring, in Lord of the Rings. We have Harry Potter, and I realize that's the fifth movie, but that's my favorite, so that's what I'm putting up there. And then we have Bruce Wayne, and that's probably just one of the darkest origin stories of all time. These great stories introduce us to the protagonists, and these protagonists usually come from very humble beginnings. Not only does it do that, but it drops you into a conflict. There is something at stake. There is an opposer. There is a, an adversary in this story. And as you get caught up in this, as it starts to paint this picture of a universe where this story takes place, you get invited into the story. You get swept up off of your feet into adventure. It makes you feel like there is something bigger at stake. There is a bigger story than what I have previously experienced in my life that is taking place here. For Luke Skywalker, you know, he's just hanging out in the desert. And then his Uncle Ben, you know, he's like, hey, maybe I was a Jedi once. And, you know, Darth Vader, you know, and that might be your dad. And it's really confusing. There's a lot of movies about it. You should check it out sometime. Uh, Lord of the Ring, it's uh, Lord of the Rings. There's multiple, but there's really only one that's important. It's about an ancient evil. He gets really upset because he had some jewelry that was stolen from him. And uh, it takes a lot of really little people to go and destroy said jewelry. Harry Potter, it's, uh, it's just basic story of teenage angst, and it follows uh, just the same storyline as all of these stories, which is just ripping off the gospel at every turn. But it is a bunch of misfits that we will find ourselves relating to today that are invited into something much, much bigger. They have to fight an evil whose name must not be said or whose name must, yeah, basically the devil, okay? And then they take him down, and then there's Batman, and he's just the best. Uh, you know, he's just, he's in the streets of Gotham. It doesn't matter if it's a scarecrow. It doesn't matter if it's Bane. It doesn't matter if it's the Joker. At the end of the day, he's going to find a way to overcome incredible, incredible stories. Just like the producers, the directors of those movies invite you in on an adventure. What we are going to see happen today is that the disciples, four of the disciples are invited to join Jesus in the the greatest story, the story that all of these stories are ripping off, the greatest story of all time, and that is 
the gospel, the ministry of Jesus. And so we're going to dig into what the gospel is. Jesus is about to start preaching it today. But before we do, we're going to dive into some scripture, and we're going to figure out where Jesus has been. We're going to figure out what he's been doing, and then that will kind of show us where he is going. And so if you have your Bibles, we are going to continue on in Mark chapter 1. We've made it 14 verses, and we will only make it six more to verse 20 today. This is going to be so good. We're taking a break soon. It's going to, yeah, it'll be all right. We'll, we'll make it. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, we have to pause right there. What has been taking place? We look at the early ministry of Jesus. And if we look at this map here, most of the early ministry of Jesus all takes place in the south. Good job back there. All in this area called Judea, all around Jerusalem. He is born in Bethlehem. He is baptized at the Jordan River. He goes out into the deep wilderness around this area of Judea. That is where Jesus has been, right around Jerusalem. This is where the more knowledgeable of the Jewish people live. This is where the more well-to-do, more educated of the Jewish people are. These were the kind of people that would look down on the kind of people to the place where Jesus was going. We're here in the West Valley, the coolest side of the West Valley, which is the Northwest Valley. You don't get much more Northwest than us until you hit Prescott. Where Jesus was at in this time was Scottsdale, okay? Just put it all into context. It's a lot fancier. There's a lot more Beamers and Teslas on the road where Jesus was doing ministry in this time. This is where Jesus clears the temple. This is where he tells a lame man to take your mat and walk. And if you are young in this room, Jesus wasn't telling this man he was not cool, so get your mat and walk away. What Jesus was saying is you cannot walk. And so I give you the ability to walk. Now take your mat and walk. He heals him, showing that he has authority over miracles, showing that he has authority over the human body. Then he heads north. On his way north, he speaks to the Samaritan woman in a place where most Jewish Jewish people would never be caught dead. And then two and a half years later, after his baptism, now Mark picks up the story of Jesus. So much of that southern ministry of Jesus is not taken account of in the gospel of Mark. Peter, being the one that is retelling everything to John Mark, Peter is focused on one thing, and that is the preaching ministry of Jesus. I think that's very uh, preacher-like of Peter. Preachers really only care about one thing, and that's sermons. Their entire lives are going into sermons. That's the only thing they think about is sermons. And so what does Peter do? He's like, all right, Jesus got baptized. All right, that legitimizes him. All right, oh, no, let's talk about how he beat the devil up in the desert, kind of, sort of. He had victory over him. Let's talk about that. Okay, now let's get to the preaching ministry of Jesus. So where has he gone? Where was he going? It says, it tells us, Jesus came into Galilee. Now, this is important. This is important because we're going to spend so much of the next many sermons in Mark here in Galilee. This is where 80% of Jesus' ministry takes place. This is the region in which he grew up, and now he is back. This is a humble place, a humble beginning for his preaching ministry. Nazareth was just a small hill town on the south side of Galilee. So Jesus makes his way 
He's here. He's in Galilee. He makes his way northeast, and he moves into a town called Capernaum. Now, Capernaum had a large fishing industry. Jesus would have lived here. He would have gotten to know the, the culture. He would have gotten to know the people. And then some of these fishermen's lives were about to be changed forever, about to be repurposed by one message and one invitation. Surely they would have heard the message. They were about to receive the invitation. But before the invitation, let's get into the message. Our first point today, Jesus calls us to a radical message. Jesus calls the disciples to a radical message. Jesus calls you and me to a radical message. It says, verses 14 and 15, again, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming what? The gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. So we have one message that is the gospel of God broken down into four different things. What was Jesus doing? He was proclaiming the gospel of God. What's cool about this is Jesus delays in any of his preaching ministry until John is taken away and imprisoned. He waits on John, who was making much of him, making the most of him. John has completely, almost completely decreased so that Jesus could increase, and it just lends light to that, and I just think that is such a cool thing. We talked about the boldness and the humility of John. This just backs that up. But what is Jesus preaching? He is proclaiming the gospel of God. He is proclaiming the good news of God revealed in his son, Jesus. He is basically preaching the gospel of himself. I am the gospel. And he breaks it down into four different parts. Look, we get pretty nerdy here at Asante Church. I love God's word. There is so much that you can, just a sponge, you can just wring it out, and it has so much in there. Today, we're getting the most nerdy, okay? Jesus says the time is fulfilled, okay? The time being fulfilled talks about the past. It talks about the, the present, what has happened around this time, and it talks about the future. But one of the coolest things that's about Jesus and about the time being fulfilled is not even in the Bible. And it is this period between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and it's called the intertestamental period. Now, this is also known as the 400 years of silence, and I nerd out on this stuff because it is so absolutely beautiful. In a time where people say it's the 400 years of silence, that means that from Malachi all the way to Matthew, there hasn't been a prophet that came down or came out of nowhere and spoke about Jesus. It wasn't until John saying, make way, repent, one is coming whose sandals I am not worthy to even carry. And now, now Jesus is here, but there have been 400 years in between that time. That's 150 years more than the United States has been a country. Think about that. 400 years of seeming inactivity from God the Father when it comes to his people. God, where are you? We can't hear you. But what was he doing? He was like a background downloader on your computer. He was at work in the background. You see, at 535 through 333 BC, we have the Persian rule and they ruled hard, but they allowed the Jews to return home to Palestine. During 333 to 323 BC, we have the Greek, rule, the Greek rule with Alexander the Great. What happens out of that? Well, they Hellenized the entire empire, this entire region. Now there is a common culture, and there's also a common language. 
From there, it goes to his strongest generals, one of them in this Egyptian rule of this area from 324 to 204 BC. Some Jews are deported to Egypt, and they take the the Hebrew Old Testament, and they translate the entire thing into Greek. Okay, this is called the Septuagint. So think about this. Now you have Greek culture everywhere. You have a common language everywhere, and you have the Old Testament translated into Greek. People would have been able to read it. From there, you have the Syrian rule, 204 to 165 BC. These were oppressive rulers over Palestine, and they desecrated the temple. This made some Jewish people very upset. Um, The Maccabean revolt came out of this. If you've ever seen the movie Red Dawn with Patrick Swayze, that's what took place historically for these Jewish people. They revolt, and they establish a Jewish homeland, and they rule over themselves. They appoint a king. And then Roman rule takes over, 63 B.C. to 650 A.D. This is the background for most of the, Old, or the New Testament. This is the background for everything that we are reading. And while there was intense persecution on the early Christian church, on these early believers, while they would take the life of our King, of our Savior, there were some pretty incredible things that took place during this time. You see, because they were so harsh, They brought about peace because people were afraid to rob people on the way to wherever they were going. This is called the Pax Romana. They built a road system. Now, this is a pretty big deal, too. Now you can get anywhere in the empire with your military, but in the spiritual realm, you can get anywhere in the empire with the gospel. So now there's a common culture, there's a common language with a common word of God, and now Jesus comes on the scene. We have the life of Jesus. We have the indwelling of the Spirit into new believers after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Holy Spirit comes into us and then, or into them, and then, man, they just take the gospel, and it spreads like wildfire. Why? Well, God, where were you? Well, God, I didn't hear you. Well, for 400 years, while they may have not been able to hear God, God was at work, working on the fullness of time. Time is fulfilled. There may be some times in your life where God seems like he is just distant. There may be some times in your life where it just seems like he is silent. God, where are you? God, where are you? I think we can get so caught up on needing God right here and needing God right here. God, I just need to feel you in here. That we don't pick our head up and look around and see everything that God is doing around us. God was preparing something much bigger. Time was being prepared for the arrival of the Son. Absolutely incredible. So we go from the past into the present-ish. John the Baptist, he sets the stage for Jesus. The one I was talking about, the one that I prophesied about, here he is. And then we go into the future. Jesus' ministry would happen right here in this Galilean region for the next year and a half. Jesus would show authority over sickness. Jesus would show authority over nature. Jesus would show authority over the demonic. The second thing he says is the kingdom is at hand. That means that the kingdom is near. And this is, <laughs> we're, we're really boiling this down to far too simplistic, but the kingdom 
is here, but it is also in the future. It is present, but it is not yet. It is already, but it is not yet, as Jesus would say. It was brought about by the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, but its full realization had not yet come to completion. If you look at this right here, this is heaven. This is earth. There was a time in the Garden of Eden before sin where these two were overlapped perfectly, and then sin entered into the picture. What came after sin was Jesus, and when Jesus entered the picture, you have just a little bit of overlap once again. Now, the kingdom of heaven and earth, there is an overlap. Jesus is here. The kingdom is not yet fully realized. There's not a complete overlap yet, but Jesus is here, so it has started. And every Sunday after church, when we say, be the church, display the kingdom, I am saying, we are proclaiming, be the church, be the Christians that God has called together, be the body of Christ, but don't just stay here, go out into the darkness, go out into the earth, be the light to those around you, and that will bring persecution, that will bring trials, your life will not be easy, if you stay here, it's going to be easy, but you're not doing everything that you're called to do. The invitation is not to be here and stay here only. It is to be here, receive here, and go out to here. Be the church, display the kingdom. The kingdom is here. There's not just two different circles that are no longer touching. Now, Jesus is on the scene, and there is overlap. And when we go out and we be Jesus to other people, we bring overlap in all of those places. The kingdom of God is at hand. Third, we see that Jesus, just like John, calls to repent. Because the fullness of time is here, because the kingdom has been initiated, repent. Change your mind on your sin. Change your behavior on your sin. And I'm not talking just behavior modification. What we're talking about here is absolute 100% transformation. This is turning your back on your sin and turning to a savior. Fourth thing Jesus says, believe in the gospel. This is what we turn from our sin from. This is what we turn toward. A king. A king that makes way for forgiveness because of his great love, because of his perfect life, but also a king that demands our complete 100% obedience. He's not okay with you continuing on in sin. Yes, will sin accidentally happen? Yeah. We haven't reached our glorified state. We are not in the presence of God the Father. When we are, sin will be no more. But until then, we fight against it. We resist temptation. We resist the devil. We flee from sin. Habitual sin should be no more in our lives. Why? Because Jesus he wants to protect us. Jesus knows what is best for us, and he does not want sin to get in the way, to drive a wedge between us and God, to make that distance grow anymore. So the question for us is, if we've received this radical message, what will we do with this radical message? This is the message that Jesus preached. This is the gospel of God. And every time this was preached, people had a choice. Am I going to sit on this? Am I just going to think about it until I turn into petrified wood? Or am I going to act on it? Am I just going to be a fan of this message that Jesus is preaching? It sounds, man, it sounds life-changing, and I could see how it could help a lot of people. In fact, it's helped a lot of my friends, but 
Now, I'm not going to be a follower of this message. I'm not going to be sold out to this message. Part of that obedience is being sold out. Part of that be- obedience isn't just being a fan of Jesus, it's being a follower of Jesus. Will I run away from this message because of the conviction I feel in my heart for the things that I've done in my life, or will I run to the Savior because this message offers me a way out from my sin? This message offers me to be transformed, to be made new, to be cleaned. Every story does a few things well. It introduces a protagonist. It drops you into the conflict. It sweeps you up into an adventure. It makes you feel like there is something bigger. Christians, this message has been preached. This message is preached every Sunday. There's not a Sunday that doesn't take place at Asante Church where the gospel isn't proclaimed. The Son of God came down. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross, being fully obedient to the Father for his glory so that you could receive his righteousness, so that he could take your sin, so that he could remove any distance between you and the Father and put you in right relationship with him. That is your invitation into the biggest story that has ever been told. Will you stay in your small narrative that is focused on you, where you are the main character, everybody else around you is just an NPC, or will you follow Jesus? Will you take the back seat to your pride? Will you take the back seat to your ego? Will you take the back seat to life being all about you? And will you say, Jesus, no, I'm not just going to be a fan of you. I'm going to be a follower of you. Jesus, you are the main character. Jesus, I follow you and you alone. There's four people, four people that we look at today that took that invitation and they said yes to it. Number two, we see that Jesus invites us to be with him. Jesus invites us to be with him. This is Jesus' call to the first disciples. Passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Jesus calls us in two different ways, and this is so stinking cool. Jesus calls us by coming to us. This is a completely new thing. This is a new take, a new spin on anything that they would have been accustomed to. You see, in the Jewish education system, and I'm going to kind of Americanize this just a little bit so we have some kind of idea of what's going on here. There's basically three levels of education. The first level is an elementary level. To be a part of this elementary level of being a a young Jewish man, you would have had to know the first five books of the Bible. The people that Jesus calls to follow him, probably most of them fall in this area. There's no associate's degrees. There's no bachelor's degrees, master's degrees. No, not even kind of. These guys are stuck in second grade, having fun at recess, just fishing it up, okay? That is where the disciples come from. That's the elementary level. Now there is an intermediate level, and that is where you know the entire Old Testament. And now there is an advanced level, and that is... You are the top of the class. You are the top 0.001%. This is what's called 
discipleship. And this is what Jesus will call them into. Now, to get to the point of discipleship, you not only have to pass the elementary level, make it into the intermediate level, know all of the Old Testament, all of the Old Testament but then you approach a rabbi. Now, you approach a rabbi, and you ask him if you can be his disciple. Now, before that question can be answered, that rabbi would then give you a test. And if you pass that test, now he has the ability to say, now you can follow me. That's the system. That's what these guys would have been used to. And once you followed a rabbi, once you were his disciple, anything he did, you did. Anything he said, you said. He goes on vacation, you go on vacation. He goes and he works overtime for 16 weeks, you go and you work overtime 16 weeks. Your family, you leave behind, you go and you follow the rabbi. What does Jesus do? Does Jesus hold a test? Does he have Galilee's got talent to figure out who's going to follow him? No. Simon Cowell wasn't even around back then. I don't think you can have that show without him. What does Jesus do? Jesus goes to them. They did not have to first pursue Jesus. Jesus pursued them. Church, what a picture of the gospel. Here at the very beginning of Jesus's ministry. He came down, God came down to us in the form of Jesus. Jesus makes himself known in our lives. He pursues our hearts to follow him. And when there was no way that our hearts would ever choose Jesus, the work of the Holy Spirit goes to work inside of us and it begins regenerating us, convicting us of our sin and calling us into right relationship with God. God made a way for his people. Jesus, not holding tests, not going to the local seminary and saying, all right, who's the smartest here? Who's the hardest working here? He says, I don't, I'm not concerned about any of that. I'm coming to you. You do not have to come to me. I know this church has so many different denominational backgrounds. And having to work our way to Jesus is a works-based righteousness that we do not believe here. We say it's the exact opposite. We can never earn the ability to stand face to face with God. We can never be righteous. The most righteous thing that we could ever do is one of the dirtiest things that God could ever see. But Jesus makes a way. Not only does Jesus call them by coming to them, Jesus calls them to follow him. He calls us to follow him. Now, the Jewish disciples' allegiance would have been to the law, not necessarily to the rabbi, but what does Jesus say? Jesus says, follow me. Don't follow the law, follow me. Commit to me, learn for me, deny yourself. Later, he would say, pick up your cross. Be willing to suffer to the point of death for me. Now, follow me means now. This is an immediate action. The word immediate is recorded over 28 times throughout the gospel of Mark. Remember, this is once again Peter. Peter was a man of action, and Mark is taking it all down. We see it twice in 18. We see it again in verse 20. Follow me now. Follow me immediately. That lets you off the hook. That lets me off the hook, because what that says is, come right now, as you are. Don't go home. Get dolled up. Don't go home and take a shower. Look, smelly fisherman, don't even put some deodorant on. I want you to follow me right 
now. You don't have to get dolled up to follow Jesus. He sees you exactly as you are, and if he's calling you into relationship with himself, he is calling you exactly as you are. You do not have to have it all figured out. Follow me means sacrifice for me. These guys were fishermen. They were leaving their jobs. They were stepping away from provision. Stepping away from provision that you can provide means that you have to start having faith in the provision that God can provide. Following Jesus meant sacrificing family, meant sacrificing loved ones. Two of these guys stepped away from their father. Not only did they step away from their father, but they were also having to sacrifice their future. They were having to sacrifice their comfort. It says that James and John were fishing with their father Zebedee, and they left Zebedee and their nets immediately, but they also left the hired hands. This means that the family business was booming. You don't have staff. You don't have employees if you can't pay them. Their futures were set. But this new rabbi in town, he came to us. He said, follow me. And that means now. So, Dad, we'll see you later. That probably had some pain to it. Provision, we'll see you later. We're going to have to trust in this guy. We're going to have to trust in Yahweh. Comfort, future, hopes, dreams that we once had, it's all worth laying aside if we can follow Jesus. Following Jesus means no looking back. Your old life is behind you. Life with Jesus is ahead of you. So how will you respond to this invitation? We follow Jesus so that we will start to look more and more like Jesus. When we follow Jesus, it is an invitation to be in the presence of Jesus, to have a relationship with Jesus. What do relationships look like? It means that you spend time together. Now, Rachel and I, we, uh, we just had a little boy. He's about four weeks old right now. Do you know how, uh, is that the picture? Look, okay. We look a lot more alike than that, okay? But th- this bulb on this projector is getting a little dim, uh, so you can't really see me. It, it doesn't look like I'm his dad right there. But that's him, clearly, and that's me on the right over there. You know how I know that's my boy? You know how I know that's my boy that I prayed for? for years and years and years. It's because as soon as he came out, he looked like me. I get an opportunity to raise him. I get an opportunity to have a relationship with him. I will invite him into a relationship with his daddy. And not only will his nose probably start to look more and more like mine. Not only will his round head probably start to take more and more of our shape, my shape. Uh, Not only will his hairline continue to be better than mine. (laughs) You can tell he's mine because of the way that he looks. You can tell how we have responded to the invitation to follow Jesus by the way that we look. You can tell But we have responded to the invitation to follow Jesus by the way that we live, by the way that we act, by the time that we spend with Jesus. That's where it all comes out of. If we are pouring our pitcher over into other people and other places and other things, we first have to be poured into. And that happens in time in the Word. That happens in time in prayer. That happens in 
fasting. That happens in serving. That happens in experiencing God wherever we go, whether it's loving other people around us or being persecuted for his sake. You will know that we have said yes to that invitation by the way that we look, by the way that we live. For this little dude right here, he might look like me. I pray, and we have prayed and prayed and prayed. Maybe that's just all he gets from me. Maybe he gets his mama's heart. But chances are it's his father. As I grow and love him, as I grow and love the father more and more and more, I will pass that down to him. And there will be a day when you see my son running around this school cafeteria, and you will say, he looks like his daddy. And it won't have anything to do by his outward appearance. But it will come from the life that we have lived and the time that I have spent in our togetherness at home. It should be the same for you, Christian. If you say yes to that invitation, you start to become and look more and more and more like Jesus. Third, final point. Jesus not only calls us, but Jesus equips us for purposeful change. Same scripture here, verses 16 through 20. Jesus equips us to follow him. Following Jesus is uncertain. Following Jesus completely rules out. We, we might know slightly where we will end up, but Jesus never says how we are going to get there. He only says that we will get there. Now, that's not going to fly in my house, okay? If I say, hey, Rachel, what do you want to do tonight? I don't know. Hey, Rachel, what do you want to, where do you want to, where do you want to go? Oh, I don't, I don't know. Um, she's asking me, and I say those things that it's not going to get a very good response. What she's going to want to know is, where are we going? What are we doing? What time is it going to need to be that we get there? What time do we need to get home? What are they going to be wearing? What are you going to be wearing? What am I going to be wearing? Look, we need all the details before we can commit to any of these decisions. Jesus gives none of this. He says, follow me. And listen to how he says it. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed this means is that you don't already have to have this down. You are not supposed to. Again, you're not supposed to go clean up before you go to Jesus. God does not call, call the qualified, but he qualifies the called. He's saying, trust in me, and you will become, and you will look more and more like me as we go down the road. Put your faith in me. Go where I go. Do what I do. Allow me to change you and trust this process. Then Jesus equips them. He equips us to be used by him. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become what? Fishers of men. So they are becoming, they are turning into something. They are turning into fishers of men. Now this is more than just a play on words. Didn't even understand that until this week. But Jesus uses this terminology of being a fisherman all throughout the Old Testament, three different of the prophets. What he is doing is he is saying, I, what God is doing is he is saying, I am sending you into a situation where I am about to bring divine judgment. I need you to go in and I need you to fish out as many people as possible. 
now these guys would have known their Pentateuch, their first five books of the Bible. I don't know if they would have caught on to this. Maybe they thought, okay, he's just going to repurpose us, which is usually the connotation that we take away from this. And that is certainly part of it, but that is not all of it. God is sending you, when you say yes to the invitation to follow him, into a situation where he needs you to do something. And that is save everyone else because judgment is coming. And because there is sin that is present in our lives, we are all going to be condemned unless Jesus has taken our place. What kind of fishing is God calling you to do? What kind of waters has he set you in front of as you have said, yeah, Jesus, I'll follow you. I don't even know how to fish right now, Jesus, but you're going to help me become a fisher of men. Follow me and I will make you become a parent that rescues their children, an aunt and uncle that rescues their nieces, their nephews. Follow me, and I will make you a co-worker, an employee that rescues their co-workers. Follow me, and I will make you a grandparent that rescues their grandchildren. Follow me. I will make you a neighbor that rescues the community, that rescues their neighbors. Follow me, and I will make you a student that rescues their classmates. Follow me, and I will unlock the true purpose of the great passions that I have placed inside of you. Follow me, and have a part to play. Follow me, and be repurposed. A few years back, maybe for you HGTV fanatics, you'll remember this well, there was a show that was on. It was called Fixer Upper. It was Chip and Joanna Gaines, and they were going all throughout Waco, Texas, which as a Texan, I can tell you, is not the most desirable place. And they were renovating everything. And there wasn't a house that they wouldn't renovate that didn't go up $400,000 in value, but also that they didn't take the interior and work with what they had. There's this thing called shiplap that was under the drywall of a lot of houses. Uh, it's not necessarily a desirable thing, but Joanna Gaines made it a desirable thing to the point of people were tearing the drywall out of their old houses in Waco just to see if shiplap would suddenly be exposed, if they could have this cool new fad of interior design. Everything they touched turned to gold, but why was that? Because they were repurposing what was already there. They'd pull the carpet up, there'd be hardwood floors. They would stain them, buff them, well, they'd, they'd clean them up a lot first. They repurposed everything. Question to you is in a very Chip and Joanna Gaines fashion, will you allow Jesus to restore you? Will you allow Jesus to repurpose you? Your walls may need some scrubbing. They may need a fresh coat of paint. Your foundation, it's probably going to need some repairing. Your roof, it probably needs to be patched. We probably just need to get this whole house of your life inspected. But Jesus says, follow me, and I will teach you to become fishers of men. That means I will take the old, dilapidated, messed up house that you are, and I will restore it. And then I will repurpose it. I'm willing to bet because I've seen it over and over and over again in the life of this church that behind that nasty drywall with a couple of holes in the walls from this, that, or the other, we got some shiplap in this church. 
I'm willing to bet because I've seen it time and time again. We peel back some of that nasty carpet with some stains on it, a lot of dog hair, allergens, and there's some hardwood floors. And if you would allow Jesus to step into your life, say yes to his invitation to follow him, that he would start to make you more and more and more like him. That you get that foundation fixed. That you get that leak patched. That you get that shiplap exposed, painted up. You get those floors nice and shiny. You allow him to transform your life when you follow him. I'm willing to bet that God does some incredible incredible things, not only in the life of you personally, but in the life of your family, in the life of this church, in the life of this community that he's called us to reach. So how are we to take this and run with it this morning? How are we to be the church and display the kingdom as we go out into the darkness? Know the gospel. Go with the gospel. Spend time with Jesus. Follow his lead. Embrace his change and chase his purpose. Let's pray.